hungry. hungry. The Dirty Bag Podcast is your virtual check-in spot to celebrate the highs, unpack the lows, and sort through the in-betweens of life. It's a place to laugh, cry, self-correct, and cut up. I'm your host, Cookie, and I'm in these grown folk trenches right along with you. Happy Black History Month. I feel like this year is just a little extra special because this is the first time we're having it in a pandemic. So... This brings me to my guest today. I have criminal justice educator, abolitionist, activist, Jason Soul. So the episode today is titled Soul of a Nation. I came up with that clap. I thought it was good. So <laughs> Jason, I'm gonna go ahead and let you introduce yourself to the people. Absolutely, appreciate you fam. Like I respect what you do, uh, appreciate your grind. And know how hard it is for black women out here, man. People like Malcolm X said it best, you know, black women are the most disrespected. So proud of you for keeping keeping it going. You know what I'm saying? It's not easy. So shout out to you first and foremost. Um, I identify myself as a, you know, I'm a formerly incarcerated scholar um, from Chicago, uh, born and raised, um, lived in the trenches. But um. You know, you, you know the story, you know, everybody on my block either dead or in jail. And that's a fact, right, you know, right. like people, my relatives still come home from prison. Now I work to bring people home and I just so happen to be a professor at a university, too. You know, and I had to have an abolitionist framework in order to be a three time convicted felon to actually teach criminal justice at a university. Like it was, three. I was in the game style and all of that been shot, you know, so I've been through a lot in this in this life. but always knew I could make it out. And being around my elders, like Marion Wright Edelman and Angela Davis, you know, for sure, um, they informed me at a critical time in my life. So I get them a lot of credit for the seeds they planted 2004, 2005. So I'm blessed to teach. I've, I've been a national restorative justice trainer too since 2008. I'm the past president of the Minneapolis NAACP. Um, I grind, you know what I mean? I grind and I'm a, I got an Ella Baker style of leadership. Like I like my whole squad winning. When we go yes. out, you don't know who the you don't know who the leader is. <laughs> that's I how I like that. it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, well, let me ask that's you me about that. People want to be the top dog. We see it a lot. We're not gonna pretend like it don't exist. But what you just said, real quick, is that you like you don't want people to know who the leader is. Yeah, I mean, I think. If you just look at any of my leadership throughout the years, I've always taken the approach of, I just got to produce more dope ass leaders. You know, I know what I'm going to do right. for the movement. When I'm called, I lace up. And if I need to say, sometimes when I'm in movement spaces, people will say, okay, what's the demand? I'm real quick at understanding because I studied it. I can just easily say, hey, we need to demand the tapes. We need to demand and I just always say, everybody got their gift. I feel like this is my gift. I could strategize at times when we got it. That's a gift for me. If everybody come with a gift, we all can shine. And once my squad understands that, we always able to do amazing things. So I could be in the background. You know, I'm usually in the back of the pictures and stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, them cameras ain't just too many dope people. Yeah, for sure they is, man. Like, and I know too many people that love them, man lose their way. And I just said, I don't want to be like that. You yes. know, I want to be 
true to my mission, true to my family, true to my people, you know? So and I, we were talking yeah, about doing that. it from the most sacred place. We were talking about that, yeah. like this, I was talking to somebody this morning about this, the, how it's turned into this, this quest for a position and title. And again, I'm not yeah. saying that in a shady way, but I think that when you start looking for positions and looking to be that visible leader, I think you can lose touch with your why. So how does that for you, do you think it's different for you because you've actually been in the system? So you look at your role in activism a little bit different as far as how you carry yourself and how you pour into other people? Um, I think I just, I mean, I've always been a leader. Let me go back to Chicago. Um, whether it was basketball, whether it was um, gang, I've, I've always get, been given leadership roles. But with that, I learned early, it don't make sense to me for me to get hyped up on this power. Like, like you, you, I mean, you go back to my high school, I was the 15 year old kid counting out a few hundred, a few thousands in the lunchroom. Like I was actually hooping at a high level. Like I'm talking, I'm one of the top ball players in Chicago. I go against anybody if we hooping in the hood and on the court. Tall give as hell. You know what I mean? I was getting it. And um, no, nah, I, I played for Dunbar. And if you know anything about Chicago, Dunbar, it's a hard school to be on that team. Like, I mean, it take a lot to get on that team, but I was there and I was a leader and in the hood, I was a leader. And I just always knew I didn't want to abuse people with my power. So I thank my mom for that, who was a team mom. I got a big sister who became a team mom. I just grew up with the lens of women leadership around me, you know, like seeing my mom grind and get it. And my father, my father, a heroin addict. So you know the story, you know what I'm saying? We was left to die in Chicago, but at the, at the same time, I knew I wouldn't gangbang forever. So I always said, I'm gonna try to figure this out for us. Even after I got shot up and was in the hospital, I had to go to war. But after the smoke cleared, it was like, I ain't trying to beef with y'all for real. So I was doing transformative justice. So I think when I found the technical terms and understand what people call community organizing, I'm like, oh, that's what I've been doing. I always got 40, 50 people right. around me when I'm in the club or in the in the crib. I got 50, 60 people all the time. That's just how we, that's how we, that's how I always roll. So when I learned about organizing in 2004, that's when I met Angela Davis at the same time. We brought her to Minneapolis. So it was like, I was shaking off the shackles a little bit because I was understanding liberation work back then. And she laid some gems on me back then that helped me understand. She knew who I was before we met and I hadn't made a name for myself. She's so dope. It's 2004. So right. I've been blessed by, I've been blessed by some, and Chuck McDougal was my advisor. He's one of the founding members of SNP. He encouraged me to join the Black Student Union because he was doing the shutdowns. And it's a movie um, that was made in his honors called Freedom Song. So if any of your viewers want to check that out, you definitely should. But he was teaching me how they were 15, 16 years old and they just didn't like Dr. King. So with him being my advisor, I got to understand the other side to where Dr. King definitely Edmund Pettus Bridge, the letter from a Birmingham jail, um, super, super radical. Um, definitely been to the mountaintop is my favorite speech because he was specific about defunding and reallocating. So I was a student right. of Dr. King, but having an advisor who used to say, wait a minute, we sitting at the lunch counters and they throwing salt in our eyes. 
I had to honor the stories and I sat at their feet. And when he retired, I was there with everybody from the movement. Betty fights and we hung out to four or five in the morning. You know, this was yeah. 2005. We, <laughs> we hung out. I got all their hotel rooms. Like, I think um, because of that, I've always been humbled. I got people, I don't have any yes people around me. There, the that people part. Around me, I don't have any yes people. Everybody around me can check me. My daughters check me. When I'm like, that's how I move though. You know, I'm checkable. I always say, just don't check me through a text message. Check, like, call me oh and say, hey, God. I need to So yeah. let me ask you this question, because I feel like a lot of discourse within organizers in the movement, what you just said right there, don't just, don't check me through a text. People fight online so much. And it seems like there's a disconnect because people don't really communicate offline. So one of the things that frustrated me, especially, I want to say, in late 2014 and 2015 in Ferguson is that when some of us would not get along with each other, we would air that shit out on Twitter and on Facebook. It was like we was given the cheat code to destroy us and to destroy the yeah. fight. So you've been yeah. in, having done this as long as you have. What yeah. kind of advice yeah. would you give to folks that are getting into organizing on the interpersonal side to not make those types of mistakes? Yeah, I, I would always say keep the main... I said this when George Floyd got lynched because there was a lot of opportunists. It was a lot of people showing up and I'm just about integrity. You know what I mean? I'm like, Hey, we still got to be around here when these cameras leave and shit. And, right. you know, and it's like, for me, for me, it's just like, you keep the main thing to focus. Like when I'm in movement spaces, I don't get into a lot of drama because I just don't rock like that. I always say to my people, I can't fight you and fight white supremacy. I got to so choose. Exhausting. It's exhausting. I got to choose. Am I going to fight white supremacy with you or are we going to slug it out or do whatever we're going to do? Right. Like that's, that's always been my mentality. Like, I've never been a bully, never been somebody to like, you know, like I say, even as captain of the basketball team and being popular, I didn't abuse my power. So for me, I always say to new organizers, bring your gifts to the work, fam. Don't get caught up in all of the, she did this and he did that. Man, I don't got time for all Like, I just really don't. It's too, like, if we <laughs> stay, like, I'm I'm a visionary. Right. I'm a, I'm a visionary. Right. Like, I don't have, I don't have a lot of time to be, I had enough drama in my life. Like I said, I've been locked away for calendars, missing my mom, missing my niece grow up, you know, missing my brother graduate. I missed a lot of time. Like I lost a lot of time and I always tell people like, I don't got the capacity to deal with a lot of drama. Like we talk to therapists in my camp. It ain't no shame for yes. none of us to talk to them. We all, we all make sure we healthy. Like don't bring your, bring your gifts. Even if you got trauma, get help with that trauma, man. For real, be vulnerable with whoever you got to be vulnerable with to release it. Cause that's the only way we really going to be able to bring our best to it. If, if all, if, if I'm triggered, by stuff in movement spaces and I, I don't got the language for it. It leads to like conflicts that don't even need to be. You look back months later and be like, damn, we didn't even need to spend all that energy going at each other like that. So I always say it's always been drama when you're trying to change the world. It's always going to be conflict. Like, I mean, we saw it in yeah. some of the best organizations. I studied the Panthers when I was in college. I mean, study 10 point program. I'm like, studying and with all of that juice and connections to Cuba and Canada and all right. the organizing they was doing in Philly, New York, Chicago with Fred Hampton, Oakland. 
they were rocky. And like when I look at how they was moving, the conflict was inevitable. Unfortunately, it's always people whispering in your ear telling you what you need to do. It's all everybody got the whispers, the people that's like, hey man, I'm telling you if you do this, or man, if you right. do this. Right. I've always been one to say, hey, look, let me think about what stuff look like for me right now in this moment. I need to think. If we front line and they start pepper spraying us, I need to be the one with the milk. I'm a, I'm a nurse right now. Right. Identify what you bring into the space. I feel like today, I think I need to be a nurse. Somebody get harmed, I want to be the medic. And I ain't giving nobody CPR. I ain't nobody getting mouth to mouth out here. But at the same I ain't kissing you. I do, every, I do everything. I ain't putting my mouth on you. You was foaming early when you was yelling. I ain't doing it, fam. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and that's what I bring to movement. I'm gonna laugh with you, but I'm gonna keep it real. I'm in this lane right here. I'm, I'm right here. This is my lane. I'm a nurse today. I do security, and I just always ask. You know, I always ask the black women when we were holding down the fourth precinct, "What you need?" You know, when I come to the scene, I ask, "How can I help? How can I serve?" And if that if that means being on security or holding a circle with 200 people just to hold the energy before we march. I'm flexible. So I think that's why people really rock with me. Like I was an easy leader to follow when I was president of NAACP. I'm rocking with you for whatever you lead, whether it's child protection, prison reform, uh, you know, uh, abolishing the police work, like all it like. I'm rocking with every group, park board, the school. We got a school board for NW. We was the hottest branch in the country. Let when me I ask was, you. I had it. Because I, I was trying to figure this out when I found out the role that you held with the NAACP. So we know a lot of times the NAACP yeah. has had a long-standing history of engaging in sure. respectability sure. politics. So with you being you and as yeah. radical as you are, how did you navigate that space? Because they love a palatable Negro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was the thing I did. When my I built with my team. I built with my squad. And I said, we just going to make them have to call us. Cause I, I like I was gonna do what I was gonna do, and if you say I'm not in compliance, they they call you. You know that's how the NAACP work in the national level. If you out of compliance, cause they want you to like call them when you're about to do something. And I said, right. I don't rock with that. We just don't. Yeah, we're gonna deal with the penalty after I do it, cause we riding. We the only. I mean, I ain't gonna say we was the only NAACP branch that was rocking with BLM, but we definitely showed we with the shit. We we. I mean. I ain't trying to call. I don't want to curse on your platform. Oh but no, we curse. Like, okay. <laughs> you see, I'm being oh, drunk. No, like, I don't want to. <laughs> I've been sipping. No, I just gotta. I gotta know. Okay, since you gave me, you know, permission, I'm gonna uh, do that a little bit more. But um, you got to think. We went out to Baltimore, six deep, and we went on business. We shut down the president's conference. We um busted in every meeting we needed to. We came with a plat. We came with a um program for how every NAACP should rock. And we challenged them. Tamika Mallory was out there. It was everybody, I ain't gonna name everybody, but everybody came to that one in Baltimore and we was riding up, you know, and my squad was young, you know what I'm saying? Cause they was like, is this your youth committee? I'm like, no, nah, this is my vice president. She a 25 year old black woman. This is my VP, he's 26 years old. They all hit us, they all ready to go. Whatever meeting they in, room they in, I know they holding the space down. So. For us, we just told nationals, man, like, you just going to have to challenge us because, man, we're going to do what the fuck we want to do. And if you got an issue with it, holler at us. We never got no phone calls. So 
that's how it was easy for us to just do what we needed to do. And every time, and I'll say this, we always hear state conferences where you got to bring every branch, you know, because we got five branches in, in the state of Minnesota, five yeah. NAACPs. I think it's one in Chicago. So on a regional level, you just got to know which branches are active and which ones are just holding down the legacy, you know. Right. That. Just and, the um, position. Yeah, so everywhere we went, we always had a standard. And we always say, man, if y'all ain't really with the youth and y'all ain't really out here in the streets and stuff, man, like, y'all just getting a bag, you know? So I'm glad they've been able to withstand. And what I can thank the NAACP for is they did give a structure on how to laugh. True. If nothing else, and you got to thank Ida B. Wells Barnett for, you know, all the work she put in to build the NAACP. But um, often gets overlooked. She, you know, the credit goes to other leaders. But they had a structure that was able to, to last since 1909. You got to look at the framework and look how they was able to do that. Regardless, like, I know, like, they don't rock how I want them to rock. And it's all good. But they still present and they do step up for certain things. And the legal defense fund of it is pretty dope. So I will. And the youth, the youth, let me say this, man. I know San Diego youth and all, like, hey, let, let me say this. The youth councils that I've seen across the country have been fucking amazing. So I got to give credit. Some groups are rocking. Some of them just, you know, um, you know, really deep in the church, which ain't nothing, no issues there. But they they got that turn of the cheek stuff. And I'm just not. Right. Like, oh, I'm believing. I, was... I, I ain't turning my cheek like just don't put your hands on me. That's how, that's how right. I look at it. No, it is. Yeah, come on, man. Don't do that to me. I'm nice. I don't put my hands on people. You put your hands on me. Like Malcolm X said, if they sick that dog on you, you make sure they don't ever sick another dog on you again. Right. I'm from that club. I don't play that shit. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, anybody know me, like I said, like, for real, since I, I bring my best energy. Like, I'm really out here as a humble servant. But people test you and try you. At the NAACP, I said, I've got any of that drama and any of that play stuff. I'm calling you out. So the NAACP on a national level, we had to challenge them a few times, but we were never out of compliance and we always took care of our paperwork. So that kept them off our butt too. So I, I just was I'm holding it as a real one. I knew that when I passed it over. Oh yeah, yeah. You gotta know the structure. You yeah. gotta know the structure. Structure. We don't real. like I that mean, word. We wanna do what we want to do. They've done some amazing work. So what made you leave that role? Hey, that's a real story. I um I took on a, a job in the mayor's office. I started working under the first black mayor in St. Paul, which is the capital city of Minnesota. Right. And, um, you know, it was a job for me to actually lead criminal justice for the whole city, hold police accountable, work on bail, uh, restorative justice throughout the city, uh, build a cabinet for activists to influence the mayor, where it's just seamless, where community got direct access to the mayor. I was creating a pipeline for that. And um, I handed it over to a 25 year old black woman. I felt like that was the right thing to do. Um, it was to set a standard. She was the youngest president in the country. Um, she just handed over the crown about a month ago, two months ago, wow. and doing her own thing, doing amazing stuff. But I always wanted to, I said, as a leader, I wanted to be able to last. At least if I could see two more presidents after me, I've done my job. You know right. what I mean? So I, oh, it wasn't about me. It's about leaving it strong where she got the same respect that I got in the streets. You know what I mean? Because it's like when you you got protests and you deep, all kind of people show up. You know what I'm saying? People dealing with mental health stuff, people dealing with yes. addiction. People, right. Everybody show up. 
And I had respect because I can always say, hey, y'all need to calm it down. If y'all can't calm it down, y'all got to leave the space, man. That's just what place we respect right the now. space. Like, yeah, respect the space. So I wanted to make sure I gave her a public ceremony saying, hey, this my sis. You get her the same respect. Everybody who formerly incarcerated, everybody who gangbang, everybody who's social workers or whatever, the same love y'all give me, give it to her. And I mean, you saw how she moved during the uprisings. I mean, everybody, I, this the thing, when George Floyd got lynched, you got a chance to see a lot of people that I cultivated, people I brought home from prison and said, hey, you you lead now. And I always wanted to make sure that it was, it was replacements around me where when I go, you got it and you're going to do it way better than me. That was always my thing. I'm out the way. Don't kill it now. Call me if you need me, but <laughs> you hey, got it's it. Your, it's your Come on, grasshopper. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's important too, is to know that it don't stop with you. The fight don't stop with you. The work don't stop with you. And that if you always move that way, you can you can put that ego to sleep. I just think that a lot of yeah. activism is so laced in ego. I don't necessarily think it's on purpose because unlike yourself, or some people, this is it was very much a new journey. And it's happening, sure. it's playing out in social media, which has never happened before. And you got money being sure. thrown at folks. And, you know, when celebrities start yeah. knowing your name and stuff like that, I think that it can really, it can get to you. Somebody said you don't get half your own supply. So like you get right. hyped up and with all of this, you know, adoration and things that you just forget that you ain't the end all and be all to this. Somebody got to come up behind you. So who are you training? Who are you pouring into? You know what I'm For saying? Sure. So that's just, sure. that's some real shit. Cause now y'all wasn't playing out there. Y'all wasn't hey, playing. <laughs> hey, you say, and I'm just grateful that, you know, all the queer folks and all the trans folks felt comfortable around me. Cause you know, that's I'm important. I, I present as masculine, I'm, but my masculinity is healthy. I'm masculine, you know, Big it's as like, hell. yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't want to appear to be homophobic because I'm not, you know, but I can see how somebody can, a young person who's an activist can look like, oh man, you triggering because like my dad was like a big black guy or, right. so for me, I always approach any work that I'm doing from a place of love where it's like, hey, I think we can have a good time doing this. Let's just figure out what it looks like for everybody because I don't want to have beef between different folks. And that was always clear. I used to just, like I said, I used to tell my base, I can't fight you and white supremacy. So do you got to have a circle and hold me accountable? Cause I'm willing to sit in the hot seat. And that's always been my approach. So I think that's what keep me grounded in everything I do. Cause I always say, Hey, if I'm out of pocket, don't just feel a way about me and, and talk about it to somebody else. Like, which is how me. it happens, which is what happens. No, I mean, and I think and I like that you said that because Let's just be honest with a lot of with a lot of our men, you know, a lot of our cis yeah. men that ain't got the language or have never been in those circles in activism yeah. spaces. They are like a lot of them are transphobic and homophobic. So how does someone like yeah. yourself deal with them? Because a lot of men don't want to confront other men. They might tell the women like, yeah, that's messed up. You know, these niggas is trash. But no, bro, oh, to the choir. Yeah. go over there. Like, like, how? Why are you not? Y'all. Uh, it's like dudes are scared of other dudes. Or they low-key carry those same yeah. sentiments. So how do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of it, you know, a lot of that toxic masculinity. And like I said, I traveled the nation for 12 years going everywhere. Like I say, Texas, uh, Arizona, I was in Vegas. I went everywhere talking about healthy masculinity because the people who show up like that and be like, no, man, you acting gay and all that shit. I'd always be like, 
why do it matter? Like, why do it even matter to you, fam? Like, right. Because I mean, I was, of course, growing up in Chicago, you socialized to be homophobic. You right. know, like it's a culture. St. Louis, like, right? It's here, like, so, yes. Some of it is from love because they know, like, if you step out of this neighborhood and you appear to be feminine and you're a guy, you're going to get a certain kind of treatment. So some of it was love, but it just, it was taught to us in the wrong manner. So we took it as, I can't let nobody disrespect me. Can't nobody play me. I got to, hey, yeah, I can't be soft. I can't be. And like I said, I was a good kid, but after I started getting taller and people like, hey man, what's up? You down with the hood and this and this? Like, I don't rock with that. I don't fuck with that. I, like, I always stood on my own too and was like, I deal with the consequences. And that's because my mom, my mom raised me like that. Like to say, look, you got to think. And it's just give you perspective on, I do what the right thing is as much as I fucking can. Like out of anybody, I don't see nobody else trying to do the right thing as much as I try to do the right thing. So when it's like people show up and they got all that energy, I always say, why do you care if they're a man or woman? Like, why do it even matter to you? And it's like, man, because I just need to know. And I always say, like, why? So I have a reasonable conversation with people who act like that. I don't go right to, hey, man, let's, you know, let's go outside. I go to. It ain't going to work. You got to think we held a precinct down for 18 days, a police station where we was like, man, we not leaving. You shouldn't have killed Jamar. We here. Justice for Jamar, for sure. Family still ain't got justice. But right. it was like, it was a guy out there. He kept saying, man, it's a feminine, feminist ass movement, man. Fuck this shit. This yes. shit feminine as hell, man. And I used to say like, why is that a problem for you? Because obviously when men have it, they fuck it up. So what's the issue here? <laughs> and, he, and, and he was like, nah, fam, y'all letting these women run this shit. I said, fam, you know, we had a lot of opportunity. If you can't handle it, too bad. Like this, what it is. This what this space looks like. Yo, I said, why don't you go create your own space somewhere? If you like, if you got that energy, and it it led to, hey, let's go ahead and go around the corner because I see you gonna keep escalating while I'm trying to de-escalate. You you gonna keep getting higher. So okay, let's walk around here. If it just in case you feel like you want to punch me or whatever, we out of camera shot. We somewhere in the in the distance and. It was just like, I never wanted to fight over that stuff, but it's like, if you transphobic, if you Islamophobic, if you got all these phobias, it's not a safe space. So I used to always reinforce, hey, I'm here because I want this to be a safe space for everybody. If you can't right. handle that, go do what you need to do and come back in a safer way. And I'm grateful that none of them ever really wanted to like, you know, test me or none of that. Cause it like, I don't want to, I really don't want no physical altercation. I'm like, ain't man. nobody like, really gonna run up on like, you. Like, you. But I mean, somebody, I mean, you got to think all the elements that was out there, man. Like people was mourning because they was family members of the person who got killed. Like they don't always want to listen to you as the leader. They you don't. Know what I mean, we get entitled. So people I'm get entitled. Like, yeah. And I mean, right. I mean, if it's the family, I always say, man, I'm here for the family. However, the family rocking, I'm rocking like the family. Like the chief of police was saying, man, if y'all don't move, we can't service no calls. They was like, if y'all don't leave, we can't get out. Y'all got the whole place around it. And they would ask me, like, can you move the crowd? And I'm like, I got to talk to the family. So I think for me, I never was making decisions. I would always say, no, nah, you know what? I'm going to get the family members for you so you can figure out. And I go say, hey, come on, Cam. Hey, the, the, the chief of police want us to move so we can service calls. I'm like, I'm not feeling that. But if the family is feeling right. it, because I mean, we want people to be able to get help if there's harm. We got to figure out how to go get that call. Go, we as a community, not letting these police get this precinct because it's important. But 
I think um, it's easy to get distracted when they got cameras and all that stuff out there. I mean, I just saw a lot of people. Were, they were good intention. They were good intention people and they really wanted to do right. But sometimes, man, like I, I look at movies, right? Mm-hmm. I see a lot of movies where it's always somebody trying to get you to do something or they already didn't you know, made a deal somewhere and all that. And it's like, you don't know who people are, but, you know, I've met some of the most beautiful people in movement spaces, but I've also been harmed. I just always know it's a possibility I can get harmed when I'm doing liberation work. And I just got to be, you know, prepared for some of that. If we're really trying to do transformative justice, if people willing to come to the table and work through stuff, I'm willing to do it, even though I know it's uncomfortable and shit. So, I always say, you know, I'm going I'm to walk it like I talk it. I ain't telling you to, like, change. I'm willing to sit in some uncomfortable seats just so I can grow and I can be an example for other people who's scared to be held accountable. This is what I feel, because I'm glad you brought up the thing about therapy. I feel like anybody that's thinking about going into activism, because you're right, when folks come out there, especially when it's that raw fight, that passion, and you angry and all of that, you're ready to fight, but you also still bring in your own demons and your own trauma and whatever it is that pushed you into activism to begin with, because all of us have a backstory as to what, even if you're not in it no more, something about your life and your personal life or something that you witnessed or experienced made you want to fight. But when you don't check your trauma or you have untreated trauma, eventually it blows up. So I think that's where a lot of the internal fighting comes from is that people literally want to be heard in this fight, but they want to be heard, you know, where they are and who they are and what they went through. Like that little young part of us, that that child that was neglected or whatever, that person needs to be serviced. So I feel like if anybody is contemplating coming out in the streets or whatever it is, I feel like you should do therapy first just to go ahead and just work that out because you're going to get triggered. And I think that everybody, to some extent, you're going to get harmed because you're dealing with other imperfect people that are sure. all trying to fight to a solution, you know, trying to work towards a solution. Yeah. But but you're human. So sure. and then you don't even know these people like that. So there's that yeah, part. Yeah. You know, you I mean, don't know you. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> first of all. Yeah. And that's why I say for the last 12 years. Like I said, I've been in Hawaii. I've been everywhere. I've always brought people together and like, just listen. Like, I mean, I've taken people in prisons just to listen. And I think that's what made my branch really strong because I said, hey, we got to go in here and spend time with the people who are incarcerated. So we would sit in cells, all of us go in there and sit and just listen to the men talk about, you know, the stuff they wanted to share with us. But when, when we walk into jails, it's like Black Lives Matter. Right? Like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> but um, even when we went to the women's prison, which was tough. Oh, you did? Around, yeah, we took. I took my whole branch inside Shakopee Prison. So shout out to the women in Shakopee Prison. But we went out there and it was like, hey, we just want to rock with y'all. They showing us all they art. And hey, we doing Black history like this. And, and you oh, know, the man. sisters... I took them on real journeys where it's like, keep the main thing, the main thing. We got people in sales who can't have a voice for themselves. We not right. forgetting about them. We got people in mental health facilities who gonna go and check on them and make sure we got something for them when they come. It was it was more, right. I just kept us focused on the work and always show people where their gifts were. As a leader, I would say, hey, you pretty amazing at this. I know you wanna do this, but I see you doing this. Just consider, okay. I ain't, so I always look, took, like took the time to cultivate other leaders and say, hey, if we're going to do this press conference, 
you the one because you the one who want to do the press conference. <laughs> like, I don't you want to do talk. That, <laughs> so I'm going to be there. I, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be with you. I'll go through talking points, but you the voice on this. So I'm standing there. They're going to expect Jason Soul to speak because I'm the president. I got nothing to say. My hitter's going to talk. So I always set a culture of everybody can do something. Everybody got something. I never seen somebody who, but it's like when people jump in other people's spaces where if I do something that comes pretty naturally for me, it comes natural. If you trying to alter me from what I can do that comes natural, you put me in a space where I'm not going to be as effective for the movement as I can be. Right. But really being able to communicate that with people just makes it easier to work with folks. Like I like, I love collaborative partnerships. I rock with people all over the map and it's all in, I, I know how you rocking, you know how I'm rocking. Right. Are we rocking for three months? We rocking for six months. You trying to go lifetime with this. You want to be like with us for a long time. It's just about being clear. You know, for me, I try to be clear. And in 2020, we learned we got to evolve our relationships, man. You know, with a pandemic. It's it's literally like when you in the house and you can't just go about like you just, it's you, Zoom and the phone. Well, if you taking it serious, let's be honest. Some folks is out here just running around like the shit ain't happening. It's like, what is y'all doing? But for those of us that are actually taking heed and staying our ashy asses in the house, you have to get creative and you have to get outside yourself and your comfort zone with those relationships yeah. and how you nurture relationships with people. But how you been doing though in the career? How have you, well, first of all, you've been working on some stuff. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. I haven't slowed down. Like, yeah, I mean, working like the work I'm doing is pretty therapeutic. You know what I mean? Like, I'm vulnerable to other guys and saying like, I might still have daddy issues. You know what I mean? Cause it hurt me that I was, you know, playing basketball and my father really didn't want to rock with me. That hurt me growing up as a kid. So right. when I talk to other guys, I'm vulnerable about those parts where I got harder and my shell got tougher. Then I got the pistols. Like I'll walk you through how I became like that. So you can understand like, that's not the man I want to be. My daughters look at old pictures of me and be like, damn, daddy, that was you. Like, you was out there like that. Yo, like, mug shots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, and they don't know that dude. Right. You know, my baby, don't know, they, they don't know. They don't know that guy. So for them, it's like how you was in prison and like a leader in prison and all of that stuff. How was you having fights? And, and it was like I always had to explain to them, like, I never started it. But I made sure that you know, just don't, just don't fuck with me, fam. Just like, don't fuck with me, just, fam. You need a shirt. I mean, come you on, need man. a hoodie. Like, you need a hoodie. <laughs> just don't fuck hey, with me, fam. <laughs> I'm saying, man, like if I'm trying to spread love for real, like if I'm really out here, you got to think. Like I said, when I was 20, I wasn't the best person. You know what I'm saying? I sold dope. You know what I'm saying? I was a drug dealer and. You know, I had a lot of money, you know, I mean, upwards of 100 G's, cars, you know, when I go out to the club, I might buy 300 roses for the women in the club. I'm just being nice. Like, you I cash the rose man out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for sure. I used to be like, how many is it? How many you got? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> let them fly, you know, but um, it was all in love. I wasn't looking for nothing. Um, right. I wasn't, you know, like, I don't got to do that. Like, my rapport was good enough where I don't got to like value stuff and do all of that. I'm a nice person. That's my reputation. But it was always people that wanted to try that. So I just always ask people like, 
when you got that kind of energy where you want to pull somebody down or you want to hate on somebody, it's like, why don't you like think back to the time that's made like it's a moment in your life that made you envious of other people or made you want right. to. You know, it's like, what was that moment? Yeah. What was that? Like, what was that fam? Cause it's like, I never went to therapy before, um, before, um, COVID. I didn't like, I was always telling really? other people, you should, I mean, I just, I'm healthy. Like I said, unless I see a problem, I'm not about right. to just go talk to <laughs> Like, I mean, I'm, I'm vulnerable every day talking to my babies, talking to my partner, talking to my colleagues at Hamlin, talking to the hitters and like my activists. I'm talking to people every day. So it feels therapeutic every day. You know what I mean? If we talk about- But you're vulnerable though. So you put yourself in a position for it to be therapeutic because you're not wearing a mask. For sure, for sure, for sure. And that's what I mean. And that's what I mean. Like a lot of my friends are therapists. A lot of my friends got the degrees and all that. When we talk, they be like, man, whatever you doing, just keep doing it. (laughs) So yeah, but- it made sense during this pandemic because me being formally incarcerated and being on house arrest and all of that stuff and having crazy probation officers who trying to violate me and make up stuff and all of this stuff. It was like, wait, what? Being in the house. Can- you said probation officers that did what? Back it up. Cause you just, you skated past that real quick. That would try to say? make up stories. Yeah, man. My POs. So one time I had this PO, man, like, he hated me because I was an activist. So 2005, that's when I really started, you know, being a real activist. Like I went and got Ella Baker training in Tennessee, Marion Wright Edelman threw gems on me. I was really studying, you know, under people. And right. um, the police, they set up a whole plot on me. You know, my best friend set me up with drugs. It was a real, what? it was a real, yeah, it was a lot going on in my life. I'll send you some stuff. Stuff so you can see this, but 300 people came to my court date, all black folks. 300 black. This was 2006. So before people start having large scale, right? People was at court saying free Jason Soul, free Jason Soul. Like it was a real like bunch of kids, like 200 kids. But um, my PO who was assigned to me during that time, he hated my activism because every day I wore shirts of Asada Shakur, Marcus Garvey, every day. I'm a criminal justice student, so every day I'm representing. Hurricane Katrina was happening. I'm trying to help organize. For for that, I was doing the work, so I always felt like I was healthy, but my PO would try to come to my school in college and try and pull me out to make sure he have a conversation with me. And I used to say, hey, you know you ain't got to do this, man. Like, then he bringing his interns. So I'm like, you making a whole spectacle of me when my classmates asking me, like, Am I a dangerous person and shit? Like, that ain't fair, fam. And I used to always say, like, man, you're going to fucking make me do something to you. Like, for real. I'm trying to be cool, but (laughs) you're pushing this shit. And I always say that. Like, just so I ain't threatening. I'm saying, you pushing me to the edge, fam. Like, one time he came to my house. I was sick. I left my job. 2006. I walked home. I wasn't feeling well. This was at my internship at a job I really wanted. They were helping people coming home from prison. This was oh, that's 2006. Dope. That's dope. So I'm like, I want to work there. And um, I called them because I had to call them whenever I get to my job or leave my job. They got me. I'm shackled. Can't see my family in Chicago. None of that. I call him. I say, hey, man, voicemail. Hey, I'm not feeling well. 
I'm on my way home. You know, I walk through the hood, I walk through the streets and I get home. I'll be home in about 25 minutes. Soon as I get in the house, put the key and lay down on the couch. Now in my crib, I got Malcolm X, Huey Newton, Angela Davis. I got books, Invisible Man. I got, this what my crib looked like back then. So he come in and he looking around like, oh my God. Like I say, Black Panthers and shit on the wall. He looking like, oh my, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But he popped up on me and I was just like, this this is what I'm about. And he had a young white girl with him who was his intern. And he said, hey, man, I just want to let you know, man, on your last UA, it had cocaine in it. I said, hey, get the fuck out of my crib. Are you serious? Fam, I ain't, man, come on. I ain't never used cocaine in my life. I said, hey, get the fuck out of my crib, man. He said, no, I'm just trying to tell you. I said, you ain't trying to tell me shit. Fuck you, man. You trying to tell me something? You ain't telling me nothing. You can go. And he was like, man, hey, calm down or whatever. I'm like, no, I'm not going to calm down if you're trying to lie. And I say, don't play these games with my life, man. Right. I say, I'm really finna graduate from college. Why you playing? I'm getting a criminal justice degree at the end of the year. So you can play all this bullshit if you want, but I'm On probation. Why are you on probation? on probation? 20 years probation. 20 of them. I said, man, come on. So when we talked before you, you, you went live, I got my voting rights back because I petitioned to the courts and said, I'm a professor. Right. You see me raising my babies out here. My kids are amazing. Everybody in my camp doing well. Like the people who come home, who I petitioned for them to come home, they killing it out here. For real. Got jobs paying 80 G's, 90. You see it all around me. How you going to keep me on probation when I gave you 10 years, no speeding tickets, no nothing, no dirty UAs for 10 years, take me off. They always had some kind of, well, we don't know. I said my restitution is paid. I gave you 400 hours community service. I did a year in jail for you. Take me off this 20 years of probation. And they failed me. Like I said, I wasn't supposed to vote till 2026. You got to think. I couldn't vote for Obama twice. Right. Come on. And I'm from Chicago. That's what I was about to say. I'm like, how did that feel? How did that feel? And that's I the day I really like saw you. That's why I told you. That was the day on Facebook you did that post. And I was like, oh, my God. Who is this? That was the day I was really like, okay, <laughs> who the hell is Jason So This man ain't got his voting rights back. Folks out here still struggling. They overlooking folks that's been in jail and like he doing it. So then For I want sure. to ask Appreciate you about the, the humanize my hoodie and how that For came sure. about. Because you're doing some stuff with that right now. You did something major lately. And I feel like you've been humble about it. Yeah, I am being humble about it, man. I think it's going to kind of stay that way. I'll, tell, I'll talk to you about it, but it's definitely a humility and a appreciation. Is there like, a certain name? It, it ain't coming from nowhere else. But, um, I was a professor for eight years teaching criminal justice. And, you know, like, I brought my family out to Ferguson for a whole week. Right. And we just showed up how we needed to. My babies were two and six. I still was a teacher at that time. And I was saying, like, I got to be in the field more. And I had to leave a university. I mean, I didn't have to leave. They wanted me to stay, but they couldn't honor my activism and thought like I needed to just be writing this shit. I'm right. like, no, I'm not. You know I mean, never been like that. But I left that university and got picked up by Hammond. When I became a visiting professor there, I said, I'm going to teach all my criminal justice courses wearing a hoodie because I want to lift up Trayvon every day for sure. For sure, I want to lift up Trayvon every day of my class. Like, you're going to be a police officer. You're going to be a probation officer. You're going to be a correctional officer. You're going to understand who Trayvon was. And you're going yes. to humanize me, too, 
as a black man. I got a family. I got all like, don't act like I'm a criminal because I got on this hoodie. I shouldn't have to wear a suit to teach these classes. And um, I made a bold statement with that. I pretty much shook up, you know, a lot of university life. People found it fascinating, but I'm actually like the mission was let's see if teaching them over a semester will make them humanize a black professor. Cause most of them, I was their first black professor. Oh, word? For sure, man. They don't get a lot of, man. I meet a lot of people who say I never had a black professor in my life. I mean, it depends on where you grew up in. Right. You know, I didn't. Stuff. I just, yeah. So, so I, they wasn't like you. There was a few at my university, but they definitely wasn't like you. It was again, that polished suit, the ones that'll tell us if you just act right, the cops won't mess with you. <laughs> Those were the Negroes. Those are the type of professors I saw. And I only saw a couple. Yeah. So I never honored that. And I'm blessed to say, you know, even at the university I'm at, you know, I'm under a black woman who's a president, you know. So I've always been able to, you know, really understand if I got this platform, I need to do something with it. People sacrificed and got lynched for me. Like, I'm never going to forget that. So Humanize My Hoodie came from that spirit of, hey, man, we need to lift up Harriet Tubman. We need to lift up Frederick Douglass. We need to lift up other abolitionists because they knew that we needed to abolish these systems. They understood that. They understood these systems don't serve Black people. So Humanize My Hoodie was just that bold statement. And, you know, I made a post with my family in it. And I said, I'm a professor. I'm teaching this year with a hoodie on. Send me love. And um, I just hashtagged the Humanize My Hoodie. And it took off. It went crazy. So now, you got to think Humanize My Hoodie. And it's Tupac. Just to let you know. I, I keep cool. looking at it. I'm like, oh my. I, I couldn't even see the words. No. I, who made that hey, for you? This ain't Susan. I mean, we... So I'm doing this with one of my best friends from high school. So that make it even more sacred, you know, like to be doing Humanize My Hoodie. Andre Wright is a super amazing human being, was in high school. We call him International Drake. But um, he'd been a designer, went to school for like a lot of amazing textiles and apparel stuff. So he knew New York Fashion Week. He knew, he threw some of the biggest fashion shows, runway shows, all of that. So when he called me, he was like, hey, man, we need to make the world feel like humanize my hoodie. With that phone call, we called, got a trademark, talked to lawyers, and did it the right way. You know, even though we friends, we wanted you to make sure- You gotta be legit. Yeah. For sure, for sure. We wanted to make sure the business was right. So we don't got a lot of red tape and we can really just humanize people all over the world. Cause now people rocking it and saying, hey, I'm finna leave my job. I want to leave rocking humanize my hoodie. It's like power to the people. If so, you want to go like, out, like, go out. Now, hold on. Man. So what did you do recently? What What did I see about Cap? Oh, oh yeah. Um. Shout out to Colin Kaepernick, man. Like, I'm a fan first and foremost. Um, anybody who's willing to sacrifice their career like that for the people, I fuck with you. You know what I'm saying? That's right. to the core. Like, so, you know, we had this, you know, conversation with Warner Music Group. We talked to a lot of folks about, okay, what you doing for abolition? I get to have conversations with people I wouldn't normally be able to have conversations with. And I can say, Hey, if you want a partner, hey, I'm an abolitionist and I might say, fuck the police. Is that a deal breaker for you? In those conversations with Warner and other folks, you know, it was like they didn't have an issue with my stance. They didn't have any complaints. So when we started talking about making a hoodie to give to a group, we went through a lot of groups. We was definitely looking at a lot of groups led by black women. We looked through the whole gamut and said, what can we really do? 
Right. And um, just to push the abolition piece in a strong way, we said, hey, how y'all feel about us giving the proceeds to Colin Kaepernick and know your rights? Can y'all talk to them and see if they would even want something? Because we didn't want, want the money off it. We wanted it to go to something to where if we can teach more Black kids they rights, we could stop right. a lot of them from going through the system. Because, I mean, a lot of people don't know what you have the right to remain silent really means. They don't know what that means. When it's like, it's, if it says you got the right to mean the right to remain silent, that means shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, don't, like, 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 that's what it means. That means shut your ass up. Go in there and just get a lawyer. That's what it means. Shut the fuck up. Like that's what that's what you got a right to be made. <laughs> Bruh. <laughs> no, for real. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> hey, hey. So we wanted everybody to know their rights. Even if it's somebody who's going through harm, we want you to know your rights, man. Like, Shredder, you should know you don't got to take that. And this is a number you can call to actually get some help. Colin Kaepernick represents that. You know, he represents, hey, I'm going to teach this. Hey, I'm going to teach y'all all y'all rights. Like, you see J. Cole rock the shirt. I know my rights. I love him. Colin Kaepernick. Right. Man, you got to look. Man, come on, man. That's so it's like for me. Yes. Yeah, come on, man. Like, you got to look. I'm, like, I'm a day one fan of J. Cole. So day for one. me, it only makes sense to say, and we've been talking to Eric Green. So I never, let me just be clear. I never met Colin Kaepernick. We've never spoken or anything like that. But his closest people, We've been in we've been communi- in communication and I'm in no hurry. I don't act like I, I'm a fan of any of them. I never be like, hey man, I need to meet Cap. Can you make that happen? I'm just like, hey, I'm rocking with y'all. I love y'all vision. If I happen to meet him along the way or something happens, I'm here for it. But I don't need that. I don't need that kind of validation. I just really want to lift y'all up and make sure our babies get to know their rights. If I knew my rights at 15, 16, it would have changed my whole trajectory if I knew right. my rights at that age, because I could say to police, you got to think police was pulling me over sick when I was 16, 17 in different cars. I used to be like, hey, man, what you doing ain't right. You want us all to get out? All four of us? You up For what? If I would have known my rights, I would have been able to say the Fourth Amendment say you can't ask my friends their names because I got license and insurance. Right. Colin Kaepernick got the framework for people to know their rights. So it makes sense to just you know, say, hey, we rocking with Cap on this. And we're pretty sure it's going to be a long-standing relationship because we share values. It's like anybody you share values with, you can Man. rock with them. You know, we got a partnership with Foot Action. We got a partnership with Black is Beautiful in San Antonio, Texas. We got partnerships. We got partnerships all over where it's like, we got partnerships with Soul Bowl. So even in the restaurant industry, uh, we cooking up some music for Humanizing My Hoodie. All the young people around us like, let us loose, man. Let us do uh-uh. Who getting in the booth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey, they ready. You know, they ready. So I'm willing to be transformed in this because, you know, my friend Andre, he, he's a real designer. He thinks in colors and he thinks in different hoodies. And like, he's very like right brain with it, you know, very creative and we always got to figure out, okay, what do we need to do for the people? Because most of the time, man, we serving the people. You know, that's the thing about right. Humanize My Hoodie. Our brand is we really helping bring people home from prison. No, I completely understand every last bit of that. So you look at Humanize My Hoodie, we got a hotline where if you call it, if you text Humanize, I'll just say this. If you text Humanize to 33777, 
we'll send you homework hotline stuff where these amazingly dope black guys at the University of Iowa. They all fly. They all photogenic and all Wait, of that stuff. What's that number again? If you text humanized to 33777, 33777. you'll start seeing all of our, yeah, you'll okay. see all our initiatives because you don't really get to to see that we pay these young black guys to answer the calls of young BIPOC folks who don't got no help with their homework. We're trying to dismantle the school to prison pipeline. You know, we don't yes. want them to get caught up in this learning and fall behind. These like you text that number, our homework. Look on our website, homework hotline is cracking. Like them kids, hey, there's some young fly dudes. Like they, <laughs> I'm they here for it. and they're about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I want to make sure everybody's connect, like able to find you and keep up with what you got going on because you're doing some amazing work. I definitely think people that are in the system absolutely need to connect with you because, you know, some people don't see you, like they don't see themselves in activists a lot of time, the least of these. Yeah. So your role is very important. So if everybody's trying to track you down, website, social media, and all of that, how do they find you? Um, HumanizeMyHoodie.com for sure. Um, social media. I ain't really, I ain't really big. I do Facebook. I, I don't even got an Instagram. Ain't that sad? Like, <laughs> it's the devil. Like, it's the devil. I'm pretty old school. I'm pretty. <laughs> it's a lot of mess on I'm, Instagram. You ain't missing. I'm that. pretty old school. You know what I mean? Like, I still email. You know, like I'm at Jason at JasonSoul.com. I got Twitter. I am. Boy, what is it? I am Jason Soul. I believe. <laughs> Oh man, I don't know, think man. About I'm it. Look at you. social media, but in real life, you know what I'm saying? Real life, you know, I, I'm a vibe in real life, but I ain't I ain't really good at social media. I just throw my stuff on there for people who need to know what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. Right. Uh, it, it's just really a platform for me to really let you know where I'm at as far as how I see this world and you know the impact I'm trying to make. But yeah, I'm old school. Email, website, all of that old yes. stuff. You he know? check his G- <laughs> he check his Gmail, y'all. Just hit him up on his hey, Gmail I do. Hey, and don't real. hit him up hey. with no bullshit. <laughs> Make sure your energy is right. <laughs> hey, for sure. Before for you sure. come to for him, sure. so I swear we got to do like a part two of this because I have like so many questions still. I feel as far what as what I want. I can stay on. A, I can stay on a, another ten. Okay, so hold on. I want you to real quick for people that just freak out by the phrase "defund the police" and abolish the police. People hear that and they just, I don't know what it is about people being so concerned about them not having this power or what would happen if we did just that. So break that down from the world of Jason. Yeah. Um, Abolish the police. I mean, it means that. I mean, we want to like abolish policing. We don't want people's bodies to be surveyed and people to be held captive in their neighborhoods. So we can envision a police-free world. We just want people to know that there are some calls you can answer. It doesn't have to be somebody with a badge and a gun. Like some of these things we can solve on our own. And if you have the skill set, we want to be able to contact you if um, there's a woman that feels unsafe or if there's somebody who disabled and they being bullied. We want to be able to have our own phone call. So when we say defund the police, we saying put it into the young people who can actually reduce crime. It's, a, it's always some young people we find in their neighborhoods, they cool, they connected, they 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 respectful of everybody's boundaries. They it's like, why can't you put the money in one of them young folks? So it's like, don't give this cop 70 G's. Let's look at one of these young teens, this young girl who clearly is mature enough to handle a budget like that. Let's put it in her hands and see what she do for the neighborhood. So 
when we say defund the police, man, it's like, and I wasn't really saying defund. I was really just saying fuck the police and abolish the police. Like, <laughs> right, that's what I'm my, saying. Yeah. my favorite, but but um, defund the police is closest to what people can conceptualize. That's closest right. to what people can understand. Okay, you want to take money from here and reallocate it in mental health. You want to take money from the police and put it in homelessness. Because, I mean, we know a lot of our homeless folks get criminalized because they don't have a place to stay. So we saying, don't get that money to the police. That's a terrible investment. Like you got to think, George Floyd was lynched in May, May 25th. You look at they the, the Minneapolis Police Department lost 1,700 rape kits in like June. Y'all just That's lynched crazy somebody. crazy as hell. Lynched. So why would we keep giving money to that? That like that's what I, that's all my point is. Like they terrible. The police union head is a white supremacist. Don't give them no money. If you invest in that, you don't you don't value black lives. If you're right. willing to keep working with that at this point, you don't value my life. So abolishing the police is like you got to think when the insurrection happened, a lot of people was like, oh, I see why you saying abolish the police because they was out there. Come on, man. You saw the relationship between white supremacy and Capitol Police. You saw right. a relationship. That's why I was saying I'm not messing with that. You could try to reform that all you want. Angela Davis been telling us. Miriam Kava been telling us. Victoria Law been telling us. Like we right. got some Ruth Wilson Gilmore been telling us. We got to stop investing in that, man. We st- we got to stop believing that they the ones who need to show up when we in danger. We got to figure out. How do we reduce the possibility of danger? And then when there is harm, who do we have that we can call to respond to it? So when we say abolish the police, we're not saying it's going to be people running around here committing harm. We don't want that. But we saying when we had the uprisings in Minneapolis, it was pretty clear. The police or none of them had no power. Governors and all of them, we had to have it out here. We the ones who was like, all the people you said couldn't do nothing when they came home from prison, look at what they did during the uprising. Right. All the formerly incarcerated people was in position, handing out food, doing medication runs for people. Like stuff was burning here and people needed things. We the ones right. who responded. So for us, it's like, we know what abolishing the police means. It, it means that trans folks can be safe. It means uh, young queer folks can be safe. Muslim folks can be safe. Atheists, you can be safe. Whether you are uh, non-binary, man, we're not. We, we trying to make it to where nobody is being policed. And if we can just get people to imagine long enough, we can build out the world we're really trying to see. So that's what abolish the police and defund the police mean for me. It means people can actually live their best lives and not have people riding around and trying to check on them and look at them. You ain't got to do that when everybody will. We're trying yes. to make sure everybody will. Yes. Okay. So hopefully okay. that clarified for a lot of folks and y'all can stop twitching when you hear that. Like there's reason behind it. There's necessity. Like they're not keeping us safe. So I love, 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 love what you're doing. I so appreciate you chopping it up with me. This certainly is not going to be our last time at all. So, not. you know, not. and of course y'all yeah. again, his Gmail is strong. So <laughs> you want to hit them up, get in that <laughs> Gmail, y'all. But again, guys, I want to thank y'all for tuning in. We are still in a pandemic. Wear your mask. 
wash your hands, please socially yeah. distance, okay? And um, don't forget to clean out your dirty bag. Till next time.